Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, it's the return of The Readings Kids Podcast. And for this session, a discussion with Lynette Noni, the award-winning author of The Medoran Chronicles, The Whisper Duology, and The Prison Healer series. Noni will be discussing her work with Angela Crocombe and fielding some questions from members of the Readings Teen Advisory Board. And now, here's the conversation. Hello, Lynette. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Great. I will start with just a very short biography. Um, Lynette Noni is the Australian author of the award-winning and best-selling Medoran Chronicles, The Whisper Duology, and last year you published two books in the Prison Healer series, The Prison Healer and The Gilded Cage. You're a very busy woman. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lynette, you're now a best-selling, world-famous author published in countless territories and languages, Besties with Sarah J. Mass and Jessica Townsend, among many others, I'm sure. But I'm really keen to hear about, and particularly for these guys, about how you started, what you were like as a kid. Were you really passionate about books? What were you into reading? Did you dream of becoming an author when you grew up? Well, no to the last one. I never, ever, ever, ever thought about becoming an author. When I was in school, English was actually one of my least favourite classes. I had I had teachers who just hated life and so they instilled a loathing of the classics within me. I was just, it was a chore. Like even now I really, I just, I can't read the classics and enjoy them just because I just remember how much it was just this painful experience in my childhood um, and in my teenage years you know this went all the way up to year 12. Uh, Interestingly my mom who she's a teacher she's not an English teacher but she was she was like maths and science but she has this memory or multiple memories. I was always a really good writer so every time we had creative writing I was always really good at them. Like I think of Shakespeare and I I just want to like I want to break out in hives like I just have bad memories. I never at all thought about becoming an author, but I really always was an avid reader. Ever since I was really young, I was reading. I was I was an absolute horse freak, so I read every Saddle Club book there was, every Thoroughbred series book there was, The Pony Pals, all those, anything that had a horse on it. And when I ran out of those, I read, like, nonfiction books about horses and, like, veterinary science books. It was, looking back, it was a problem. <laughs> but, but I love reading. And then... The one good English teacher I ever had that I remember was in year seven and um, she made us read Over Newton by Isabel Carmody, who is a Brisbane-based fantasy author. And I just remember thinking, I did not want to read this book. You know, I just, you know, I don't want to fail year seven English, but I don't want to read about magic stuff. And obviously, you know, I fell in love with this world, these mind speakers and these magical, mysterious world and everything about it. I just needed more and more. And so that then opened up the door to Narnia, which then opened up the door to like Harry Potter. Over Newton was my gateway into Narnia, into Harry Potter. And then I jumped straight up to like high fantasy, which was like The Magician by Raymond E. Feist and and Trudy Canavan, who's another Australian author, her Black Magician series, like, that's a long way of saying, no, I never decided to become an author and no, I did not enjoy writing when I was younger, like through class and stuff, but I always loved reading. And so the day came when I couldn't find a book I wanted to read. And so I decided to try and write it. And that's how my story started. 
I also read every single pony book that I could possibly find when I was a kid. I think it's a phase some people go through. You're either really, really obsessed or you just don't care. And it's yeah. like, not like an in-between when it comes to horses. <laughs> There's a whole market of books for kids like us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you ended up studying journalism and psychology, I think, at university. And so how did you become a published author? Well, I mean, I only took a couple of classes of journalism. And with journalism, I found that I just, it was too political for me. Um, And at that point, I didn't know that I... You know, I kind of, I knew that I liked words. So I also took an academic writing class, which everyone around me hated. But I was like, oh, this is really interesting to see how the language that we use comes together and you use it in an academic way, whereas in other times I've used it in a creative way or, a, you know, so I always knew I liked words. I thought that would work well with journalism and it didn't because of the everything around it. Whereas psychology, I kind of really enjoyed a lot more, but then I spun it off into the human behavioral sciences. And so my degrees in human behavior I now use that to develop my characters. But how I got published had nothing to do with that. I, I had I'd finished my degree. I decided to take some time off and I went traveling overseas. I got really, really sick and I came back a lot earlier than I had intended. And I just had this time up my sleeve. So I thought, well, I'll try and you know write this book that I want to read. Um, and so Akane ended up being a result of that. But I didn't want to get it published but I knew I wanted to find out what happened next to the character. So I went on and I wrote book two, Raylia. And I remember when I finished writing that book and I just sat back and it kind of ends on this emotional cliffhanger. And I realized I had no one to talk about it with. I was like, I I now love these characters. I now am invested in this story and I have no one to communicate my feelings to. Um, And so that's kind of the moment where I was like, I need to, you know, I'm going to try and get published. And that sounds like such an easy thing to do. It wasn't, it took me three years and it was rejection after rejection after rejection. And it was just a lot of keep trying, keep going. I wrote another book in that time and that was getting a lot more attention from agents and publishers. Kept getting told, this is a great book, but there's no market for YA fantasy at the moment. There was a lot of really positive feedback, but still a lot of closed doors. And so I remember thinking, I'm going to put this book to the side. It's not, you know, it's not the right time for this book. And so I did put it aside in the sense of I was walking through Big W one day and there was a shiny new book that had just come out and I picked it up and it was Betrothed by Wanda Wiltshire and it was just being published by a new Australian publisher called Pantera Press. And at that time they were accepting unsolicited authors, which meant I didn't have to have an agent. So I thought, you know what, this will be my last, I'll give it a go, I'll submit and then I'll put in this book in the cupboard. So I did. And a month later, I got an email saying, hey, you're through to our next round of through in the submission process. And I thought, yeah, 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 cool. I've heard that before. It's not going to go anywhere. And I forgot about it. Like I forgot completely about it. And then it was either six or seven months later, out of the blue, I got this email saying, hey, we loved your book. We want to publish it. I honestly thought it was a prank email. I thought someone, you know, it was a friend or someone just messing with me. Uh, sure enough, you know, a month later, they'd flown me to Sydney. I was signing contracts. And a year later, my first book came out. Wow, amazing. And how how long was that time period from when you'd started writing Akane to when you were actually published? Uh, well, it was about three years before I was offered a publishing deal. A long time. You had to be very committed. <laughs> I did. I had to decide why I wanted it and whether it was worth 
you know, I had a number of people tell me that time, why don't you self-publish? And it was a really good question. And it made me think, well, you know, what do I want? And I just remember thinking, I don't believe in myself enough to be able to do that on my own. So I need to know that this book is good enough in the eyes of a publisher to be worth investing in. And so I needed to go down the traditional publishing path for myself. Well, you obviously believed in that world because you wrote six books set in that world. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the world building that you did and the elements that you really wanted to have in the world. Honestly, when I look back in that series, I just think I just had a whole lot of fun. I bent the rules over and over again. I would make a rule in one of the early books and then later on be like, nope, need to rewrite this rule somehow. And thankfully, because it was a secondary world, I was the creator of that and I could do that. So uh, one example comes to mind is that in the first book, you know, I was really adamant when I was writing it that I didn't want magic to be a thing. I wanted it to be like science in a sense. So there's this chemistry class and and there's these things that like bubble doors. And so it's like you smash a vial on the ground and you step into it and you're transported somewhere else. And to me, that's kind of magic, but it's explained as a chemical equation, substances that are in this world. And so it's it can be figured out in an intelligent kind of way rather than a one swish magic kind of thing but you know as we go further into the series we start to meet some other races and some other creatures and beings all who can do stuff that is really you can't say it's not magical and so there's this part and I think it's at the end of the third book and the main character who and so she's a bit skeptical about everything the whole first book is her just trying to accept that okay I just have to deal with this I'm in a new place I've just got to go with it by the third book she looks at like one of the people who originally in the first book said you know there's no such thing as magic and she's like you're just you know you just lied to me or something I can't even remember what she says but she calls them on and she's like there's no such thing as magic yeah sure 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 and they're like yeah okay all right whatever so that's when I bent the rules and realized okay humans in this world can't do magic but there is still magic so things like that I had a lot of fun with and I had a lot of fun creating this world that was similar to ours. You know, we had similar similar climate, similar geography, similar history in the sense that there was a way to make it so that winter and summer and all these things were close enough to our world that readers wouldn't get confused, but different enough that it could be really clearly a fantasy world. So with me, with world building, I unlayer as I go and I develop the world as I go and I do it through the eyes of the characters Uh, largely so that it's not overwhelming. I think we've all read those books that are so much info dump, especially early on. And you're just like, I have no idea what's going on here because everything is being explained with so much detail and my brain needs a break. I see things as I go and we experience places as the characters get there. So that's kind of how I do my world building. The three different worlds that you've built in your series, in your three different series are so unique and really amazing. Okay, so I have a question about the writing of these three books because they've come out very, very quickly one after the other and all post-pandemic. So I'm wondering how the pandemic impacted on your writing and how you managed to write them so quickly. Were you just sort of in the zone of this world? It was honestly really awful. I signed The Prison Healer at the end of 2019, so no one knew the pandemic was coming then. Um, I think it was around October 2019 and I... In the period of 2018 to 2019, I released five books. And so I thought, you know what? I can probably do six monthly releases. 
or at least, you know, see how we go. And so coming into writing The Gilded Cage, I I was scheduled to start writing The Gilded Cage um, in about April 2020, which is obviously right when the thick of COVID had kind of really started hitting everywhere. And, you know, my nan got sick really fast and ended up passing away. And I came down with autoimmune disease and everything, everything was happening. And suddenly I was on this horrible deadline to get this book done. And people weren't shifting things and everyone, you know, in the foreign territories were freaking out because, you know, um, like one of the first countries to buy the prison hill after the US and Australia was Italy. And obviously at that time, Italy was just being slammed, you know, by COVID. And so I remember thinking, I don't even know if, you know, the world is going to be around by the time the prison healer is due out, which was April of 2021. So one, exactly one year on. But anyway, I got through writing The Gilded Cage and it was really hard. It was a hard slug. And I thought, you know, it's okay. I've managed this. Nothing is going to be harder than this. (laughs) And then coming into writing The Blood Trader, which was at the beginning of last year, I was told, yes, we've extended your schedule. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. That's great. Thought I had three months to write the book. And then suddenly I was told, oh, oh, wait, no, no, we've changed things. You've got four weeks. So I had four weeks to write a book. And and I don't know if you guys have read The Gilded Cage, but if you've read The Gilded Cage, it ends at a point where the main character going into the final book is not in a very good mental space. So if you're a fast reader, you can read a book in a day or in a few hours, but you can't write a book in a day or a few hours. So the first chunk of The Blood Trader, when the main character is in this horrific mental space, I just felt awful because I couldn't escape everything that was happening in our world, but I also couldn't escape everything that was happening in her world. And I was so miserable and it made the experience so hard. And I just remember I had a day, I'm like, I need to get her fighting spirit back somehow because I need a fighting spirit back. And so that kind of really helped turn the tide of the book and then helped shift me out of that and then get it into a more of a, a smoother flowing thing. I always tell people who are wanting to be an author to always, always, always enjoy the journey of your first book because once you're published, you will have deadlines forever and you'll never be writing for yourself anymore. You'll always be writing for your editor and your publisher and the people who are reading your book. Whereas the first one you write or the first books you write before you're published, you know, they're for you and they're special and you can enjoy them. So do please enjoy them. (laughs) Congratulations on writing all three of them. That really so remarkable having to get through the pandemic and doing that in such a short deadline I mean and and the books are amazingly complex and the characters are really complex and um, sophisticated I'd I'd love you to talk to us a bit about how you you create the characters you know Kiva and Jaren are just very complex and I feel like all your secondary characters also have a lot of complexity to them I wanted to say about the plots, like I, I'm just so in awe of, of your ability to, at, on, at both the end of The Prison Healer and The Gilded Cage, you just threw in these incredible surprises that I did not predict at all and was quite shocked by, and, you know, particularly at the end of The Prison Healer. I just thought it was brilliant and you really, you know, you leave each book on a cliffhanger ending. How much plotting do you do beforehand to kind of set that up? The Prison Healer is the first kind of series that I knew the end of each book at the beginning of each book, purely because I knew that it would end at those two points. I needed to have hints of that all the way through because it is such a shock. Even though I wanted it to read like it came out of nowhere, if you ever read, read the book, you actually see hints of it the whole way through. 
But those hints are covered by other things. So there's a lot of misdirections. The intention is for you to read it one way, but really if you were to go back and reread, you might read it another way. There's a few moments like that all the way through, but there's also a couple of plot twists. You know, There's so much satisfaction as a reader when you think you figured out a plot twist mm-hmm. and you think, oh, I know what's going on with this. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating. He's like, oh, that's not a very good twist, but I know what's going to happen here. And so you're still waiting to be satisfied to be proven correct. And so there was one or two, definitely one that I was like, like, I'm going to make it really quite obvious that this is going to be where this is going, even though it's still hidden for those who maybe don't read as much in the YA fantasy scope or, you know, don't read into things and are just wanting to be surprised. But one in particular is about Jaren and Jaren's identity. And I, you know, I thought I set that up pretty obviously. People are focusing on that when really I've got this other stuff happening over here, but your eyes are going over here waiting for this to happen. The art of misdirection. <laughs> I'm very impressed. And, and what advice would you give to young writers starting out in their careers? It's it's a hard a hard truth is that you may not ever get published, and that's just. I know some of the most brilliant writers who've read some incredible things, but at the time is not right for their books and they're still waiting to get published. And so I guess the biggest advice I give people is always write first and foremost for you because if you, you know, believe in your book and in your characters and in your story enough, then you will keep pressing on and keep pressing forward. Like I did with Akane, you know, it took me me years. I know some people that it took a lot more time. I also know people who took like months. So, you know, (laughs) weeks though. So there's really no gauge to it. But as long as you do it because you love it, nothing else will matter. It won't matter if you don't get published. It will be disappointing and it's hard the longer you wait. But all it takes is one yes for the no's to not matter anymore. So if you keep believing in it and if you keep loving it and you keep moving forward, and I really do believe that one day it will happen. So my advice is to love it. And if you don't love it, it's maybe not for you. And that's okay. Find your thing. And obviously the other piece of advice is read. Read a lot and a lot and a lot. And find out what you like. Find out what you don't like. Because all of that will teach you what you want to write as well. And I noticed on your website you have a lot of fantasy recommendations and YA recommendations. I do. I have categorized it into, I think, middle grade, fantasy, YA and romance, because whenever I need a break from work, I guess, I always just escape in because, you know, you're going to get a heavily ever after with like a contemporary romance. It's always a given. And plus, I also, you know, I love with my books to have that element of romance in the books. I think it's really, I tend to do like the slow burn and I'm not into insta love or love triangles, but I love to incorporate that in my books. So try to get outside of your own genre as much as you can. Read and read and read and read and read. Okay. I might open up the questions to the board now and see if they have some specific questions for you. Yes, Claire. So I know that you said earlier that your protagonists aren't your favourite characters and I can see why. But even so, I was wondering which of your three protagonists is your personal favourite and why that's the case. That is a great question. I mean, I love them all for different reasons because they're all different, but they all have similarities as well. I think because I created them, they're all going to have some elements that are the same. I think probably because I'm so deep in the prison healer world at the moment, I'd probably have to say Kiva, but that's largely also because of what she represents. I wanted with her to challenge the strong female protagonist stereotype in the sense that, you know, everyone is always saying it's so important to have a strong female protagonist. And I fully and heartily agree with that. But I think at least for a while, hopefully not as much now, 
But for a while, that was really valued on physical strength. So, you know, and whether they could uh, throw a punch or whether they had battle magic or whether, you know, um, they could do all this really epic stuff that made them physically impressive. You know, not going to lie, I put that into all my books in different characters, especially, you know, in, in Alex in the, in the Midoran Chronicles, she obviously has to learn to get there. She's terrible to start with. She gets knocked out in her first combat class. But by the end of the series, she is very much a... A, a warrior not a very good one but she does what she needs to do but with Kiva I think I really just feel a bit more attached to her because I didn't want to make her physically strong I wanted she's a healer I wanted her to be strong female character but I wanted her to have that strength as an inner strength I wanted it to be her heart and her compassion and her her ability to to love and to care for people in the way a healer or a doctor or a nurse or anyone of, of that way would and so you know she has survived 10 years in the most horrific place imaginable around some of the most horrible people and she still managed to retain her humanity and her and her compassion and and I think you know that makes her stronger than any of the other characters I've ever written and I I just really love her for that good question great thank you um anyone else got a question for Lynette yes Grace I was wondering if there are any books that influenced your books and any that you like just as a reader so with my Midoran Chronicles series, I would definitely say Narnia influenced and Harry Potter would have influenced us as well. You know, these magical worlds, magical school, um, you know, portal fantasy um, for the Narnia side of things, you know, that was kind of really at the time what I really loved reading. And so I wanted to represent it, I guess, inspired or influenced by that probably. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to ask the project that you're doing with Sarah J Mass, The World of Throne of Glass. What's that? I'm not really allowed to talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've signed a very nasty NDA. It's been done for ages, so it's a long time since I've had to think about this. The information that came out was that it was set X amount of years after the Throne of Glass ended and you kind of journey back to the world to see more of the world, learn more about it in kind of an encyclopedia kind of way, but you also learn what has happened to the characters in the five, ten years or something since the series ended, so where they are, if they married if they have kids what's going on who is off doing stuff it was a lot of fun uh, really a really lot of fun yeah that's all that has been shared so that's what <laughs> I really say <laughs> and it'll come out sometime in the future yes other questions yeah Talia I just want to ask what inspired you to put someone as young as Tip into the prison healer series because of how horrific that environment is Good question. Tip, I needed Tip there. I needed, he's so bubbly and happy and he's like human sunshine. And so I knew that coming into the prison healer, it was going to be a really dark kind of book purely because the setting is so dark. You know, we're in a really awful prison. People are sent there to die. There's no justice. It's just, you know, whether you've killed someone or whether like Tip, you just wouldn't let go of your mother who had stole whatever she stole. I can't even remember, you know, like he had done nothing. He was innocent, you know, as well as Kiva is as well. She's done nothing. And she's sent to this place. I needed a little bit of light in that darkness. And so I knew I wanted to use a character for that. And so Tip, you know, he is just impossible not to love. And I knew that creating him, you know, 
as a reader, I love reading about him, but Kiva, you know, Kiva, who has been so careful to wall herself off from everyone because she's keeping everyone at a distance. She knows everyone's going to die. She doesn't want to care for anyone. It's really impossible for her not to care about Tip, even though she's trying so hard and she has tried for, I think, three years not to. He still wiggled his way into her heart. And I think if he was any younger than he was, he probably wouldn't have survived. Like it's, it's borderline at 11. That's really hard. But if he was any older, he might not have been as cute and as adorable and so it may not have wiggled his way into his heart and her anyone's heart as well. And I don't know, I just, I can't even, I don't think there was any real critical thinking around his age. I think I just kind of picked an age that was in between child and teenager. I didn't want him too young that he couldn't understand things that were happening. I also didn't want him too old that he would be moody and grumpy and hormonal and difficult. But I wanted him to be able to understand because there are things going into the gilded cage, you know, the the dual natures of people and, and, you know, he needs to have enough wisdom in him to be able to see right and wrong. If you've read The Good Cage, there's a bit of a wake up for him at the end of it. You know, some things that he thought, some things he may have taken for granted or just did not expect kind of came and surprised him. And so the fallout of that all has to happen in the final book. And so I didn't think, oh, perfect. 11 is a great age. It was more just, I think this is a this will work at this age. And he's also a little bit, he's a bit of a young 11 at times, I would say, like, but also at other times, I think he's a little bit of an old 11, if that makes sense. So I just, I wanted an age that I could just sort of go up or down depending on what he's going through. Any other questions for Lynette? Oh, Aurelia? Oh, my question was, if you were in the prison healer, which of the trials do you think you would be best at? I would die. (laughs) I am like crazy claustrophobic. So the trial by earth, I would freak out, like, especially if there was no light, which Kiva was lucky to have light there for the reason that she had light. And I'm saying that because when I went to Fremantle prison, we went underground, which is where the original prisoners dug out the tunnels for the water. So the whole tunnel system in Zalandov prison is inspired by Fremantle prison where they did have inmates digging out these tunnels. And I went down into these tunnels and at one point, and we had headlamps and the guide had like lights and whatever but at one point the guide said let's just turn off our lights and be quiet for a moment and just see you know what it feels like I was like let's not um but we all did that we turned off our lights and we're all dead silent there's only like five of us and it was just I just it was just I've never experienced such an intense blackness and such an intense silence and I just remember thinking I don't know if I'm alive or dead right now like I just I wouldn't know because every there was no sense of anything and it terrified me so if that was like if I was stuck in the trial by earth and that was my reality I just you know I would try to feel my way around and get somewhere but I would just die trial by fire obviously I would die trial by water I would die and trial by air like I just I would want to do the trial by air of all of them the most because it's the quickest death and the least painful death and at least you're flying in a way before you die but I mean the others it's just a really prolonged or painful death. So I have, without magic, I would have zero chance of surviving. I guess if any of them, the trial by air is the one I would have the most chance of surviving, but I'd probably be like every bone in my body broken. (laughs) So no, the answer is I wouldn't be able to survive any of them. (laughs) Um, David, what was your question? Um, Mine was a bit different. Sorry, you mentioned earlier how you um, went traveling a lot after you finished your degree. And I was just wondering, like, where you went, what you did, and if any of that informed what you've ended up writing. 
No, so I had this massive European trip planned. I was, was meant to be gone for six months. I was meant to start off in England, go up into Scotland. I was meant to do the entire Scottish Highlands and then go across to Ireland and then jump over to continental Europe. And I ha- was going all these off the beaten tracks. Like at that time, a lot of people were doing Paris and everything like that. But I wanted to visit like... Um, you know, I wanted to go to Slovenia and Slovakia and a lot of Croatia and this place, you know, like random places like Plitvice National Park in Croatia is this beautiful like winter wonderland. If you Google it, it looks like the most magical place in the world. I wanted to go to Bled, which is um, in Slovenia. I had all these places I wanted to go to. I was going to go up and see the uh, Northern Lights up in like Scandinavia. I had all these I had everything booked and everything planned and I was doing like a hop on hop off backpacking bus it wasn't like a it wasn't like a contique or anything it was just a plan your own trip as you go kind of thing and I got to England and I got to London and I had um I did a bit of London I went out to Chester I did some um I went to Stratford-upon-Avon which despite my you know loathing of all things Shakespeare I still had a weird you know desire to see see where Shakespeare you know his home place and I went to like Oxford because of like Narnia Alexius Lewis and I got to those places and I started to feel a bit sick this is one week in one week into my six month trip and I thought it's okay I'm gonna go up into you know Scotland next part of my trip and I got up to Edinburgh and by then I was really sick and it was April and it should have been you know, it was coming into their summer and it was apparently their coldest spring on record. And it was like, it was snowing when I got there and I I'd come out of summer from here. I had like, I didn't even have a proper jacket with me. So, you know, it's no wonder I got sick, but I got up to in Scotland. I got up to Edinburgh. It was the most magical city I've ever been in. And so to answer that part of your question, Edinburgh probably has inspired some of my fantasy cities um, or at least elements of that kind of thing. But I just got so, so crazy. Like I was coughing up blood. I was visiting the hospital. Like I was just, it was awful. And I missed out on so much of Edinburgh because I decided to, you know, kind of stay in and get better. I thought, you know, one, two days just sleeping. I'll get better. I did not get better. I kept getting worse. I thought I need to go down back south again to try and warm up a little bit because I was meant to go up into the highlands, which is colder. This is all fast forward. Then the Icelandic volcano went off, which if you, I don't know if you guys remember, but it stopped air traffic. No planes could go anywhere in that part of the world because of their ash. And so not only was I really sick, I also couldn't go anywhere and it was just, it's just one thing after another. And in the end, I was like, I am just dying here. And so I decided I'm going to go home back to Australia. I'm going to recover. And then, you know, I still have my entire trip planned. I'll come back. I have no idea how I thought that now. I had like, I was on like student income. So I had no money. But yeah, I got home. It still took me three months to get better. And you guys know the rest of the story. So I didn't really see all that much back then. Thankfully, since then, I've got to, you know, I've traveled, I've done America, I've done Canada, I've done New Zealand, but I've not yet gone back to Europe. And that's still, that's one thing I really want to do to finish that trip that I'd planned. So one day, and I really do think a lot of that will inspire, you know, more fantasy worlds and fantasy things. So much of Europe is just so beautiful. I did get to see a lot of South of England when I was really sick because I stayed with some people and uh, they were down near like Salisbury Cathedral and Stonehenge and Brighton and a few Southampton, a few of the beachier places. So I saw a bit, just not the bits that I wanted to see. Hopefully you can go on book tours to those places and, you know, someone else can pay for your trip. Uh, it's true but when I'm on book tours you know you kind of and it's true I do get time but you're also in work mode and you're kind of aware okay my schedule when's my next interview when's my next you know uh, radio when's the next plane to wherever I've got to get to do next and when's my next you know so you kind of 
unless you have an actual full day off, which is kind of rare, like usually it's a travel day, um, you don't really get to enjoy the places. But the thing is, if you, you know, if I'm over there, you can often say, oh, okay, well, cool. Instead of returning, like booking my return flight um, to whoever the publisher is, you know, like, can you book it, you know, a week later and I'll just hang around for another week or something. So that's true. But again, COVID kind of messed with all that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen you've got lots of promotional events in April all around the world on Zoom. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Lynette. It's been really amazing and um, we really love the Prison Healer series and, and we're very excited to read book three. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, me too. I'm, I think I'm more excited than you guys for you guys to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we wish you all the best for it and I hope that you get to tour again soon. Thank you so much. It's been so great to talk with you guys too. I, you know, it's always fun. So thank you. Really lovely. Thanks again. No worries. Bye. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast at our website. We'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Gallagher. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you.